Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I am taking your breathing as a personal affront. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. You can't have a souffle for 20 years, but you can't have a can of baked beans. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. You cannot get pizza from a Chinese restaurant. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I'll use any carrier pigeon you come up with. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about making it work for the long haul. Yeah, we're supposed to do that, right? Yeah. We're supposed I mean, to make it work. Yeah. I mean, no no judgments if you can't or you didn't, but oh, no. it's like, it is sort of what you sign up for. So, you know, you might as well, I guess, I guess the point is there are benefits. Long-term relationships are good for your cardiac health and longevity. And, and to be clear, we're talking about making it work with our partner spouses. Yes. Not making it work, you know, with ourselves, which is another thing, or the kids. Yeah, the kids, you're definitely supposed to make it work with them for the long haul, from yeah. what I've heard. Yeah. And if you've been to paradise, but you've never been to me, that's another episode. That's true. We need to do that episode. <laughs> and let me just say right out of the gate, we've got a major <laughs> Obi alert. Back in my day. That is a bonkers, bonkers song. I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. Literally, no one knows what you're talking about. I will say I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me is my signature <laughs> karaoke number. I only like karaoke if there's a dramatic monologue involved in the song. That's my go-to. That is like she's been undressed by kings and she's seen some things that a, that woman, a ain't woman ain't supposed, supposed to, to see. see. Amy, we are doing this podcast now just for ourselves. <laughs> I mean, seriously, people are like, what are they talking about? Guys, back in the 1970s, Look it up, there guys. was a song called I've Been to Paradise, But I've Never Been to Me. And it is one of those songs where you're like, you did what? <laughs> what is happening? How did this ever get written? And then how did it get recorded? And I want you to all take a break from the podcast. We never ask you to do this. I want you to take a break from the podcast. And I want you to go cue up that song and listen to it and then come back to us. I wish someone... Had I talked to me, like I want okay, to talk to get you. Off of the same. We're, we're in a spiral of nonsense right now. All right. Now. Our guest today is Belinda Luscombe. She's the author of the new book, Marriageology. She may cancel as our guest, though, after she sees, here's the intro to this. Yeah, yeah. She's like, <laughs> what are they, 
This is a weird 70s podcast. She's the author of the new book, Marriageology, The Art and Science of Staying Together. Guys, this is my favorite kind of book because it has studies and science and research, and it's really funny. Amy geeks out over these books, guys. Very excited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk to her a little bit later. Um, but like I was saying, she she sort of posits in the beginning of the book that long-term relationships have benefits. They're, they're good to be in. There is a study she cites... Harvard has followed a bunch of men who live in Massachusetts for 80 years so far. So I don't know how long this study is going to be, a long-term study. And they found that the single best predictor of men's health at 80 is their satisfaction with their relationships at 50. It's one of those funny things, like what's the factor there? You know what I mean? Is it that they're satisfied Mm -hmm. with their relationship or is it their wife is reminding them to take their blood pressure medication? Like you're not exactly (laughs) sure with the studies. Like sometimes these studies, you hear them and you're like, oh, but then if you scratch a little bit under, it's like, wait, there's a lot of factors within that statement that you don't exactly know where it's coming from. But listen, I'm a a fan. I think that you should be in a long-term relationship. My parents were married for... 50 years and they, they seem to really enjoy it. Yeah. My parents are 50 years as well, uh, right now. And I'm going to be 20 years next month. I'm, 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 how about you? Oh, don't ask me hard questions. I'm around 11 or 12. <laughs> I got married in 2007. I'm, tw- I'm, I'm, I'll be 12 in December. All right. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. So we know a little bit about this. I will say from personal experience to me, I feel that personally for me, one thing that has made being in a long-term relationship easier is that I didn't get married until I was 36 years old. And it's like, I was so ready for that exit ramp out of, out of that life. You know, like I feel like getting married later was a really good thing for me. That's probably true. I think, I think divorce rates have sort of come down as the, as the age of marriage has gone up because we sort of know who we are and what we want. And, you know, don't settle for the first first person that comes around anymore. Yeah. And I mean, the idea of like what you want in a boyfriend versus what you want in a husband, it's like it's I did not make the connection until much later in my life. Like I was like this hostile Irish bartender, dude, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. But like he really was not going to be a great long-term husband and father, maybe for someone who didn't mind being like, let's put the kids in a van and drive across the world. Like but for me it wasn't right like i was i was not dating people who were at all compatible with marriage for me for a long time and somehow my lizard brain realized that like my some part of my psyche was like you're you're not these are not long-term prospects so now but now you're in a sort of comfy cozy like yeah this is working out like you're at, you're in it for the long haul and you know, don't you say the good thing and the bad thing, the good news and the bad news is the same news, isn't that? To to quote Margaret. Yeah, it's the old double-edged sword, guys, the double-edged sword. So Belinda Luscombe says, and I think this makes a lot of sense, that familiarity is both the glue of long-term relationships and the, like, itchy thing under your collar about long-term relationships. Right. It's the glue and it's the sunken mud. It's like both. It's like it sticks you together and it drags you down. Right. She says like when you get to the point that your spouse doesn't surprise you anymore, that familiarity can kind of become a drag and that we are sort of looking for the, you know, the new interesting thing. Um, Well, I think that's such an interesting point and kind of goes back to my earlier point of like, my whole life, I wanted adventure and surprise. That's all I wanted. And then at like 35, I was like, no, wait a minute. Now I want everything to be exactly the same every day. (laughs) Like I really had a change of 
heart that allowed me to be open to marriage. Because in my 20s, I was like that very annoying. I can think of like all these like conversations I used to have in college where it was like, who would want anything to ever be the same chaos and being part of it and living life at the peaks and the valleys? And, and then at some point, I literally matured out of that. And I was like, nope, I'm I'm good with everything never changing ever. Yeah, you start to you start to look for. She makes this this um, analogy in the book that I love talking about, like your marriage is like baked beans. It's it's shelf stable. It's something that's really going <laughs> to last you. Right? right. Whereas like delight and excitement, it's more like a souffle. Like it's amazing, but you can't hold on to it. It doesn't last. It's funny and, and exactly accurate. Exactly accurate. You can't have a souffle for, for 20 years, but you can't have a can of baked beans. Well, and, and it's a great lesson in like learning what your your actual want is. Like everybody wants souffle, but <laughs> you don't really you can't marry a souffle. That's right. the thing. And like I feel like this gets turned very negative in people's mind. Like, oh, it's sort of depressing that I'm stuck with baked beans when I really like souffle. And it's like, no, 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 you really want baked beans. Right. The baked beans are going to be with you on the camping trip. And I don't know. I went to I went to China two years ago. This sounds like a total. Uh, what do I want to say? A tangent. Right turn. And it yeah. kind of is. But I went I met a very old man, um, Chinese, who didn't speak English. But we, we got to go inside his house. It was fascinating. And he was very excited. We were Americans and he wanted to show us something. And he had a can of something that had been dropped by um, the airplanes, by U.S. airplanes during World War II. And he wanted to show us that he still had this like rusty can with like, you know, letters and numbers on it. And he wanted us to try to tell him what it said. The label had long ago been worn off, but like this can was as old as he was. And uh, yeah, so that's that's my marriage, that old rusty can. That, but that's extremely valued. It's extremely beloved. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> It's a loved old rusty can. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, it was his, it was definitely his proudest possession. Like, look what I have. But, you know, the rusty can, it's like, it's also why uh, your spouse's loud chewing of salad makes you want to scream sometimes. I watch a ton of like Dateline and my husband, and there's only two crimes that basically happen on Dateline. One, husband drives wife home, pulls off an abandoned rest stop. And then a guy comes out of the bushes and like shoots the wife to death and then gives like a glancing blow to the husband. The other crime is wife poisons husband's Gatorade with antifreeze. <laughs> Those are the two big murders that happen all the time. Again, again, my Dateline people out there are nodding right now. They're like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Amy's looking at me like I'm insane. But my husband and I, it's become kind of a shorthand in our marriage. Like when he's annoying me, I'm like, honey, I'm just going to fetch you a refreshing glass of Gatorade to make this all better. And you're going to calm down. And then like, if I'm annoying him in the car, he's like, I just have to pull over at this abandoned rest stop for just one moment. Don't ask me why. It's become our kind of running um, intermarriage murder threat that keeps us going. Like it's, if I need it, I've got an out. I've got an out. It's a little pressure valve, right? It's yeah. like, I kind of 5% want to kill you right now. Just 5%. Or maybe sometimes a little bit more. I've never actually prepared the interfreeze Gatorade, but I've thought about it. Do you think that humor is a sort of um, life preserver for, for your relationship well, in general? Well, it helps you. We've talked about this with kids, too. Being able to kind of be like, let's get this playroom clean. Like, it, 
it, it's like an out. It's like a little wink, wink to like, we're fighting and we kind of hate each other's guts, but we kind of know we're still in it and we can still laugh about it. And believe me, my husband and I have had fights where there's no humor involved at all. We've had mm-hmm, fights mm-hmm. where I'm like, I am so frustrated with you. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like we've had, we're not always like, ha Gatorade, rest up. Like sometimes we're actually like, your face is driving me so crazy. And this thing <laughs> you did is making me question all my life choices. And we've had real fights, but if you can keep the humor in it as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, it, it lets you know that it's not so serious. I think it keeps away what psychologist Robert Weiss calls negative sentiment override. Like the point you get to with, I've gotten to this point with a boss. I haven't gotten to this point with my spouse, but like everything this person does drives me nuts. Like the well is poisoned and you just sort of ascribe like the worst motives, the most annoying things to sort of everything this person says and does because they drive you nuts. There's a tipping point. I have definitely gotten there with my spouse. I mean, I've definitely gotten to points and we talk about it. And and now 12 years in, we have a language to kind of talk about it. And we're like, we're in that bad mode. And the bad mode is I just start seeing every single thing my spouse does as a <laughs> dumb, annoying thing that is making my life more difficult. Like my story about him. Uh, like specifically created, right? To just get right you. the way he slams the door. I'm like, you know, I don't like it when you slam the door. And my husband, <laughs> I feel like this is a universal thing, but I had a thing for a while right after we got married. My husband and I didn't live together before we got married. So, like, he moved in and I really never had never lived with anyone. So, I was like, what? The walking, like, it's so annoying. I was like, are you doing that on purpose? Like, you're stomping around the house like a crazy bear. And he's like, oh my no, God, these are just yes. my feet. Like, this is just how my feet and work. And I was like, well, it's extremely annoying. Like, mm-hmm. who walks that loudly? It sounds like there's like a dinosaur on the loose in my house. There's like bone spurs flying off from both sides of the foot. Oh my God. Like, how can you? And the, the walk, the loud walking <laughs> and the door shutting. Like, who shuts a door of the car? Like, it sounds like the Incredible Hulk is, like, angry when he shuts a door every time. And I just would get into modes where I'm like, I've told you that annoys me. And you're doing it just to torture me. And he's like, (laughs) these are literally just my feet and legs. And this is just me trying to get a glass of water from the kitchen. And so we have started to identify that mode and we're, we call it the mode. And I'm like, oh, we're in the mode so badly right now. We're like, I am taking your breathing as a personal affront to everything I'm about. And you are just like, why is my wife such a crazy harpy? There's a there's a simple solution for that, I think. And that is uh, a little travel, a little business travel. You know, like my, my time to get away. My spouse and I, like over the last 20, we've been together for 25 years and we've spent a fair amount of time like working in separate cities or right now he's traveling a ton. He's gone all the time. And we are, of course, like we're getting along so well because like it's like, oh my gosh, hi, let's have dinner. (laughs) You barely see each other. Yeah. It's like catching up with your like old roommate that you never get to see anymore. It's it we have we have this totally fun relationship right now because we yeah, we aren't bogged down in the I told you last night to take the recycling out thing. It's not part of our relationship right now. So Well, we say we've said on the podcast before, like when your relationship becomes angry coworkers at the daycare, you have to reset. Like and this is a back to one thing that happens all the time. Like 
we constantly fall into the mode where we're like, "Uh uh-oh, we're angry workers at the daycare. Like, let's do (laughs) something romantic and fun and exciting. Or maybe why don't you go on that business trip? Or maybe why don't I go to this conference or whatever? Like, we know enough now, 12 years in, to be like, it's that reset time. Because life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. And marriage is what it is when Mm -hmm. you kind of look away, when you're not paying attention to it. And like, we can easily slip into the bad mode for like weeks at a time where it's just like, and we often will get to a point. In fact, I think we just did it kind of recently because we're going out on Saturday night, but like, okay, angry coworkers at the daycare, like we need to inject a little romance in this. And like, you know, you don't feel a ton of romantic feelings towards your spouse when you've been angry coworkers at daycare. And I think men don't have this problem enough. They're like, hey, (laughs) it's 11 o'clock PM. How about some romance after this episode of Game of Thrones? And you're like, are you kidding me? Like, you haven't said a kind word or looked in my direction for seven days. And like, I'm not looking for romance from you right now. Right. For men, that tends to be a very easy, like, that's an easy fix. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have to, like, have a meaningful talk first. Right. Like, I just had a passing thought. And so now I'm ready for a romance. And you're like, I need a little more wind up (laughs) than, like, hey, babe, Games of Thrones is over. Yeah. All right. I think on that lovely note, we should take a break. Yeah. We'll hear what Belinda Luscombe has to say right after this. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. (laughs) But all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's 
H-E-R-O.co and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Our guest today is Belinda Luscombe. She's an editor-at-large for Time Magazine who won the Council on Contemporary Families Media Award for her reporting on marriage. She and her husband have been realizing how deeply unsuitable they are for each other, but they're still figuring it out somehow for 28 years. And her brand new book is Marriageology, The Art and Science of Staying Together. Thanks for talking to us, Belinda. So excited to be here, Amy. So I loved this book. You guys, this is, you know, this is my lane. It's the, it's funny with concrete takeaways. And I think you will love this book too. So I want to ask you, Belinda, about some of the sort of the more impertinent notions I think you bring up in this book. It really helped me look at my relationship in a new way. You say that marriage pushes people to the extremes. In other words, they become their best selves or the the opposite of that. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it is very difficult to choose somebody and to say, I'm going to spend my entire life with this person and everything I own, I'm going to share with them. And everything, every problem they have, I'm going to share with them. And for there not to be an incredible amount of tension occasionally. This person knows you better than any other person probably ever will outside perhaps, perhaps your parents and your siblings, but they are biologically much more similar to you. So I, it just, to be seen like that and then to be judged is a terrifying prospect. And to be seen like that and yet to be loved is a wonderful prospect. So I think it just, it drives us to our extremes because we are so deeply known by our spouses. The familiarity of marriage you talk about, and it's both what's wonderful about it and the hardest thing about it. Oh, yes, yes. And I tell this story about how my husband, when he wants something, never says, could you get me X? He always says, do we have any? <laughs> do we have any envelopes? Do we have any? As if, you know, I'm his personal Google or something. <laughs> and of course, it's no big deal just to say, yeah, hun, they're in the shelf where they were last time I showed you. But to me, it just seems like why is what you're doing so much more important than what I'm doing that you can't learn when they are. So, you know, often these uh, these little things that people do have a deeper meaning, and sometimes they're just irritating because they're irritating, like yeah. like they make a noise, a noise in their throat or uh, they have a really annoying conversational tick. And there's not much you can do about those except, I think, just say, you know what, I'm going to be the bigger person here. Uh, uh, you know, do I love this person? I do. So can I get by that? I probably can. I, I always find it hilarious that my children have habits that I would tolerate in nobody else. But you're like, oh, for them, I guess i got to just get by it. <laughs> It's because they're part of us, maybe, right? We right. see our, the little bit of us walking around. Isn't it adorable? Isn't it adorable? But it's it's so you, you tolerate all sorts of things in your kids, terrible things that you would never tolerate in another human being. And it, because you are sort of biologically programmed, then you know it's also, you know it's the right thing to do. So uh, I feel like with our spouses, you could just cut them a little more slack that way. You know, speaking of kids, you you made a really interesting point in the book, I thought, which is, you know, you, you enter into this sort of at least 18-year project, and I guess really lifetime project, of parenting, uh, raising children, even though your kids are not really the reason you got together in the first place. They just kind of take over. 
Exactly. They become this incredibly absorbing project. And the way we parent now, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, is so intensive. It's like curating these things. It's like they're these precious gems that we have to sort of <laughs> polish up to a, to a burnt with. We're cutting diamonds here. We're not just, you know, you know, feeding them. So, and, and children will suck up, especially in this modern age, I think, without even knowing it or necessarily even wanting it, all the attention that you give to them. You always feel like, well, there's, I could give them piano lessons or I could take them to Istanbul or shouldn't they really be learning some Sanskrit? You know, there's all sorts of crazy things that you think about what that you do for your children. And I think what we sometimes forget is that, um, you know, they are actually a product of you and your spouse. And they're sort of actually one of the symbols of your love and your partnership. And there's something that you should sort of do together. And you, you need to be a team. They're not the reason you got together. They're one of the things you do together. And of course, when your children are my age, you learn that the hard way because they leave and then you just got each other. Yeah. And you kind of look at each other. You talk about that. You use a really uh, a funny story about the Real Madrid team. Right. Yes. So if, you know, it'd be like asking, I'm sorry, Spanish people, I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong, but the Real Madrid team, it, it would be like asking them, you know, to uh, 10 years after they've played soccer to just travel around to foreign cities together and sit around afterwards. And, you know, they just don't have anything in common anymore unless you act as a team and have a, a relationship outside your children. Let's talk a little bit about fighting. Oh, yes. You, uh, you devote a lot of that in the book. The, the point isn't, if you're going to have a long-term relationship, you make the, I guess it should be obvious point, but it was eye-opening to me. The point isn't don't fight. The point is fight better uh, because conflict is going to be inevitable. But you say if you can't figure out how to disagree, then you can't figure out how to be married. So the point is to lean into better fighting. Yeah, I think anybody who's been on a plane or a train or a bus on a longer than four hour journey will realize that two, you know, people in the same space for a long time don't get on all that well necessarily. So, you know, you, you will fight, especially I think uh, you will fight after you have children because they take, you know, they take so much of your attention and you have all these sort of uh, presupposed notions that, that will suddenly emerge. Um, and, the, and it is, I think, important to learn how to fight for, in, for two reasons. One, you learn a lot about yourself and your spouse and what you're really like and what you really want from these fights. Everybody thinks, oh, we're just having a bickering, you know, whatever. But actually, if you are careful with them and, and think about them carefully and, and watch what you're doing, you actually can see what your, how your values or behaviors or really uh, the core ways that you think are different. Uh, and the second thing is you, you, when you fight with somebody, you have to make sure that you are not attacking them, but attacking the problem. So, so you can make these tiny, tiny little changes like saying, and I was shocked by this myself when I did the research, um, and, the, and the, the data in it on is, is quite overwhelming. Don't say you always, you know, do this, or you never put away your cutlery. You know, you, you're never there for me. Those, everybody feels super attacked and goes into their kind of fight or flight mode when that happens. If you, if you just, if you can, and I, this is hard because obviously when you're fighting, you're in a heightened state, but 
it's much better to say, you know, I find it really difficult when you do this, or I'm having a problem with this, or I find when you do this that, that it does this for me. And that begins, you know, when you first do that, it sounds super fake and managed, but eventually I think you, it sort of shifts your, just saying it like that shifts your perspective a little bit. Right, right. Well, there's some structure around that. You talk about sort of constructive fighting means rumbling while making sure the person that you're rumbling with feels safe. And I thought that, I think these, these as you say, these tiny little things, they really can make a difference if you sort of honor the structure. <laughs> Give it a shot. I like to, in the book, I compare it to like there's ultimate fighting, which is where you really are trying to, you know, uh, in the UFC champions, they're really just trying to knock each other out any way possible. And then there's that hilarious sort of WrestleMania fighting that you see where people are obviously not really fighting. They're just sort of continuing the narrative. Um, and I sometimes, and obviously I want you to, you know, if you're going to have an argument, you're going to have an argument. But it's important to remember the real reason you're there is to continue the narrative, is to say, how can we make our story better here? How can we improve our story? So you make the point in the book that brevity is very important when you're fighting. Why is that? Yeah, well, it's not, my, it's not originally my point. It comes from a great book by Harriet Lerner. And it's just, I think, it's very important to get in, make your point, get out. These things don't get better the longer that you talk about them. Often when you begin to talk about them, then you can feel yourself also getting riled up. I, I'm not saying don't fully say what you have to say, but I, I sometimes think, you know, people unstop, you know, their resentment and they go on and on and it feels really good to them. And what they don't realize is their partner is just hearing this very long attack on themselves. And they've understood probably what you've said within the first, you know, three minutes. Mm. And I did this hilarious exercise with my husband where I, I said we, it was something I'd learned in a book and you're supposed to be able to just go in and say, this is what happened, this is what I thought about what happened, and this is how I'd like it to be different next time. And then you have to just stop and let them talk. And he honestly let, went on for so long in <laughs> response. I thought, oh, my goodness we're going to need to break for snacks because I can't believe you can talk this long for a start. It was, it was incredible uh, how much he had to say. And then in, according to the rules of this particular argument, you're not allowed to say anything back. You just say thank you. But I, I failed at that bit. <laughs> you, were, you were obeying the rules and then he went ultimate fighting. And anyway, uh, yeah, it was so, I hadn't told him the rules. So that was maybe a tactical error. <laughs> when it comes to apologizing, I loved this part of the book. You say that there are two words that ruin apologies. I just don't understand this. And you see public officials doing this all the time. And you're like, how, how do you, I mean, we've taught to apologize since we were very small and we still all so <laughs> suck at it. Never say, I'm sorry if, and never say, I'm sorry, but. Just don't put any of, the, just say, I'm sorry. And then X, where X is the thing that you did wrong. I'm sorry I did this, and, and then end of sentence. No, uh, the one that really makes my ear steam is I'm sorry if I offended you. And you're like, I just spent 20 minutes explaining how you offended me, so there's no if here. The if train has left the station. Um, so the if is terrible because it, it actually questions people's right to be upset. 
uh, and the but is terrible because it makes them feel like there was some excuse. It's keeping the fight going, right? It's keeping the fight going. Just even if you, you know, just get in, apologize and get out. I just, I don't understand why people don't do this more because it's costs them nothing and it is so helpful. And it, you know, it just, it just smooths the, I often say this to my husband, just apologize, you know, and then we'll be done. You uh, have a whole section in your book that you call tiny corny things that actually make a difference. (laughs) We're all into those. Give us a couple of those. What are the tiny corny things that will work? Well, the one that is, uh, that shocked me the most is, um, because the research is incredible on it, is just learning to say thank you. And sometimes, you know, you actually have to look for things to say thank you because it's, it's actually not natural when you're living with somebody and you have your, your jobs and they have their jobs. Uh, for example, in the morning, my husband makes coffee and I make the bed. So, um, and so I always say, Hank, thank you, hon, for the coffee. Um, and I think what it does in, um, is it, it has a twofold effect. One point that people do not feel taken for granted. They feel noticed. And I think a big problem with long-term marriages is we sort of just take each other for granted, or at least we feel like we take each other for granted. And they feel, they feel kind of seen. And the second thing it does is it, it makes me realize, um, that they're doing something and therefore I cannot not be grateful. Like it, it builds looking for something to be grateful for actually builds gratitude. And gratitude is the biggest, uh, weapon we have against pentiment, which is the ultimate marriage killer. So, yeah, there are four four things, right? We talked about those uh, earlier in this episode, the four sort of horsemen of the apocalypse that are that are really bad. Of those four, what contempt was the one that that spoke most to me like, "Oh, I know what that is. I I give it and I get it for sure, and I need to address that." Um, were there things that in that as in your research that were particularly applicable to your own relationship? Uh, well, the contempt thing was big. I love to make jokes. So I have to watch where that might tip over into contempt. I think, I think that spoke to me the most too. And actually in the, in the research, it shows, uh, that that is one of the biggest, uh, problems. And it's an equal opportunity offender. So it, 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 one of the, as you know, one of the other, um, horsemen of the, of the marital apocalypse is withdrawal, where you just decline to fight. You're like, somebody wants to say something, you're like, I can't deal with this, I'm leaving. And that tends to be a very male, generally, approach. Uh, and then uh, complaining tends to be a very female approach. I mean, these are sort of, uh, uh, sort of fulfill unfortunate stereotypes, but they are, there is some truth in them. But contempt, husbands and wives do, and, and I, I, but both husbands and wives uh, do this to each other, where they, they offer contempt, which is when you make somebody feel like what they have to say or, or, or what they do is not worth paying attention to. You, you say in the book that a soulmate, the, the whole idea of soulmate is, is kind of off base and maybe contributes to some of the issues we have making our relationships long term. Is that, is that right? It, what I say uh, is that it's really incredibly stupid and <laughs> pointless <laughs> to search for a soulmate. And we all do it because we've sort of been sold this bill of goods that somewhere out there is the one perfect person who will make us complete. And if we find them, we will be happy from that day forth. And, uh, 
And I, instead, I think the, what we should be thinking about is how do we become a soulmate? How do we become somebody's soulmate? How do we learn them? How do we understand what they're going through? Um, how do we become a better companion and partner to them? Um, and how do they become ours? Um, so you become each other's soulmates. They, they kind of are a thing, but they're not a thing that you can find. I'm not saying just marry anybody because that way disaster lies as well. But find somebody that you really like and that you want to be friends with forever and that you think would be really a great companion for this long, long journey that you're about to take. And then, you know, and then work from there. Don't think, oh, that person, I'm not sure his hair is right or, you know, he's great except for X. You know, everybody has their deal breakers and there's nothing wrong with that. But don't expect for the birds to chirp and the, you know, the sun to shine down on you. Don't expect for this person to never drive you nuts. I think that's, I think that's where we should wrap because that, that, that is exactly it, right? That you learn every day how to be a better soulmate to the other person. You're curious about where they're coming from. You lean into that and that's how you keep it interesting. Like, keep it, it's like, it's like, it's like, I don't know, it's like having a horse or learning the cello. You just get better at it <laughs> and better at it. Uh, as you just practice, practice, practice. This is Belinda Luscombe. Her new book is Marriageology, the Art and Science of Staying Together. Belinda, we can find your book everywhere, right? But where can we find you? Uh, well, I'm at Luscombe Land on Twitter. I have the Facebook, uh, and you can and uh, you can find me almost every week in Time Magazine if you look closely. This book, you guys, is so funny, so full of useful information. I have dog-eared and written in the margins on every page. I really recommend this book, Marriageology. Belinda, thanks for talking to us. It made my day, Amy. Thank you so much. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to seeing optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. 
crisp and refreshing without any sugar. This is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate. Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. And now, the first year of marriage versus the 10th year of marriage. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. First year. Let's stay in bed all day. 10th year. If you get breakfast for the kids while I shower, I'll give you five bucks. First year. You're cooking dinner? I wanted to cook you dinner. 10th year. Who's calling the pizza place? First year. I love it when we just talk. 10th year. Honey, we need to make an appointment to have a conversation about these orthodontist bills. First year. Sexy lingerie. Tenth year. School fundraiser t-shirt. First year. Dinner and then dancing. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Tenth year. You'll clean up the kitchen and I'll go to sleep before 9 p.m. Oh, that sounds wonderful. First year. I'm so glad we stayed up until 3 a.m. hashing out that important relationship-related issue. Tenth year. Look, I've long since decided we're in this together and we're going to make it work somehow, so let's get some sleep. This has been the first year of marriage versus the tenth year of marriage. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. So how good was that interview? She's fascinating, right? Right. Yep. I I'm going to make book. it work now. I'm going to make it work. <laughs> I love this book and and I love the idea that she sort of puts in there that your your disagreements and resentments first of all you you're going to have them right like worrying that you disagree sometimes or that you resent each other is is dumb because you will and that a lot of those things can be sort of lessened or addressed productively by making sure that you're not misunderstanding each other Mm -hmm. But you're not sort of talking past each other and you're, you're making assumptions, um, which I definitely which I definitely do, especially when you're like, oh, I don't feel like having the fight. So I'm just going to assume what you're thinking in your head, which is probably way worse. Right. When you're having the the back and forth, like, oh, then and then he'd say this and then I'd say this and then he would not even know what to say. Like, I, I will I will act out stuff in my head. Rather than oh, just have the difficult absolutely. conversation. And then you're at war and your husband's like, what happened? I just walked across <laughs> I, the room. Like what? And now, now I'm like in so much trouble. And I think that that kind of sitcom dynamic of like angry wife and like hiding husband is like, there's a reason why it happens. And my husband is actually very even tempered and like, he just has a very good hearted person. And like, he says to me all the time in conflicts that I'm having with other people, rather conflict prone in my own way. And he's always like, never attribute to malice what might be anything else. And mm. I, it's like such good advice. And it's like good advice in our marriage too, that I'm like, she saw me at the pickup and she turned right away from me and she did it. And he just like keeps going back to that phrase with me of like, you are projecting a ton of malice on a situation that could easily have been. She was thinking about her grocery list and didn't see you. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and that can be true with your spouse too, right? Oh, it's most true with your spouse. Right. Like you're walking that way just to annoy me. And he's like, <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom. Like I don't want to crawl there, you know? So I, I found this. We, uh, we both follow Nick North on Instagram. He's a dad of five. He's on Instagram at Epic Danger and you can find him on the internet at nicknorth.co. He put this up on Instagram this week and I like screen grabbed it because I thought it was so good for this conversation. He and his spouse have started something called the number system. And he said he's open a new name. So maybe we'll give it a new name. But you want you ready? Ready for this? I think I'm it's ready. so good. He says, when we're deciding on pretty much anything, we label how important it is to each one of us. He says, it sounds like this. Honey, I have an idea for Wild's birthday party, but it's only like a two for me. Or, babe, I'm putting this on your calendar and I really need you to be home and on board for this totally. And it's like a seven. And he said... I've learned to be very sparing with the upper numbers. And it turned out that often one of them was compromising on something that was like a six for them when for the other person it was actually a two. Like, it's interesting. where do the holiday decorations go? And simply by actually saying, I'm expressing an opinion about something and it's very important to me, or I'm asking what you think we should have for dinner and I honestly really don't care. Like by just sort of saying that. Framing it that way. Yeah. He says it's like huge information and it's totally changed how they communicate. And this seems kind of like annoying and and hard to me. Like, oh, I really don't want to start a new way of communicating with my spouse. <laughs> my guess is if you did this for 10 days, you wouldn't have to do it anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something where like now every time I have to talk to my spouse, I have to be like, I want eggs. It's a seven. Like, it just seems like heavy. But my guess is if you did this pretty briefly, it would change the way you're communicating overall. You would start to learn it more. I've done other things like this. Like I've done some other sort of like, here's the framework that we're going to have this difficult conversation in and they're, and they're worth it. There's one in marriageology that she talks about, like, can she, I, I forget who suggested this framework to her, but you sit down like to your spouse, like, can we talk about something that's been bothering me? Get their permission, right? They're looking at you. They're listening. Remind yourself, I really love this person. And then say, when you walk really loudly while I'm trying to, you know, I, I, w I was asleep in bed and I was awakened by you walking loudly upstairs. And the story that I told myself was that you were doing that on purpose, whatever, just using that as an example. And you have right. to use this sort of artificial language. And the thing I think it was and the thing that I made up, that's what it was. And the, and the part that I made up was that you were doing that on purpose to be disrespectful to me and. And you have to use that framework because then you're taking responsibility for the part that you made up instead of instead of, you know, projecting it onto them. And then they yeah. have to sort of respond. And yeah, these these sort of perhaps overly formal things, they really work. Right. And you don't have to. This is not going to be your new like uh, the the whole like I just hear my mother and my grandmother's voice being like. Get through the day, ladies. <laughs> like they're not like don't come up with a number. sister. just talk to your spouses like but. These are just resets back to one thing. So you don't have to spend the rest of your life being like, my story, when you left that half full can of Coke next to the bed and the ants got it, is that <laughs> you were disrespecting me. Like, that's not going to be my relationship with my husband. But you can try to frame things this way because I do think that, like, the cancer of marriage is resentment, like, fundamentally. That's what tears people apart. And there's been a conversation going on in our Facebook group about this recently about, like, wait, but I do so much more than my husband does and I can't stand it. Mm -hmm. And like the key to that in some very fundamental way is talking about it. 
like not letting those resentments just become, you know, because your husband is probably not thinking about it as much as you are. No. I mean, let me revisit. Your husband is definitely not thinking about it as much as you are. So you're right. Like resentment is a total, you know, slow toxin working in your marriage. There's a, a relationship expert named John Gottman that has discovered four things. And he says if he sees them in a couple, he can predict with sort of 93% accuracy whether they're going to stay together or not. Oh, I bet I know what one of them and is. And so he, he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay, want to take a guess? Want to see what one of them are? One of them is talking uh, derisively to or about the other person. Yeah, it's kind of two of them. So one is criticism, which he says is attacking somebody's character instead of their behavior. Good. Like, why don't you ever help me around here instead of, can you please take the garbage right. out? One is contempt, which to him, it means sort of hostile humor, like making fun of your spouse at a dinner party, right? Oh. Or sneering or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the third thing is stonewalling, which I wasn't totally sure what this meant. This meant sort of like shutting down, like, I am not available. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I've given up. I'm out. I've taken my ball and got home. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm like, I can't listen to this anymore, which, you know, he, yeah. he says men are more likely to do that. Uh, you know, I think we all do it sometimes, but it's the sort of like, it's 2 a.m. and I am still not done being angry about this. And then they're sort of like. Right. And also, like, you've kind of been harping on this for eight years and I'm, I'm done listening yeah. to it. Yeah. And the fourth thing is defensiveness, which is when your partner comes to you and says this stuff, which they could maybe they'll say it nicely in this. May I tell you the story I made up or maybe they'll just come at you. But if you dismiss or invalidate what they're saying, which I've definitely done that, then if you do these four things or, you know, a majority of these four things, like you're you're not going to be able to make it work for the long haul. You have to sort of counteract these behaviors. Right. These are the, the toxins are in the blood and you're like changing yeah. into venom instead of Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. So he has a really good video. I'll put it up on our um, in our show notes at whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. It's like a five minute video and it talks you through what these four things are and what you need to do instead for each of the things It make, made a lot of sense to me. I have this. So, I mean, and this is like the thing that creeps into um, for me is the contempt thing where I just get to a point and I've heard my kids every once in a while. They're like, David. Like talking to my husband and I'm like, where did you get that from? It's like, I literally have a voice and I'm like, David, 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 could you, David? And it's like my, I'm like failing stupid coworker who doesn't know how to run the daycare as good as I do. Can you please? And like, I literally can hear it in my voice and I'm like, whoa, oh, time to go back to one. I want to share something that I think is the key to resentment and is advice from my aunt Terry, who's one of my touchstone people. And this is the advice that has saved my marriage. Are you ready for it? Yes. You cannot get pizza from a Chinese restaurant. I feel like for years, my husband and I have been having this fight this week. He joined the board of a school and I have had two different occasions. There's some other people I know who are on the board where I'm out with them and they're like, we'll see you Sunday. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about Sunday. I'm in the city on Sunday at a fundraiser thing with my husband. And they're like, no, 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 your husband put together an event for the school and you're hosting it. And I'm like, no, I'm not hosting anything. I have to be at this other thing. My husband will not put the events for this thing that he is now involved with on the calendar. <laughs> and so twice we've had major, major conflicts, including like I schedule one of my kids' birthday parties and it was the same day as the major fundraiser for this organization that he has to go to. And it's been driving me crazy. And I'm like, you have to do this. I know I have to. I'm so sorry. Like, that's the fight we've been having. 
Then I heard the magical words of Antaria in my head. You can't get pizza from a Chinese restaurant. My husband is terrible at personal organization of dates. So I just stepped in and I was like, put me on the calendar, whatever calendar, whatever emails come in, I'll just add them to the calendar. We fixed it. Mm -hmm. Rather than just digging into a year long fight about how you don't respect my time and you don't care about me because you won't blah, blah, blah. That's pizza from a Chinese restaurant. Like he is a Chinese restaurant that cannot remember dates. And I am desperate for a slice of pizza. That is, this is a person who puts all the dates on the calendar in an organized way. And rather than just fall into a path of like horrible resentment at his annoying face who won't do this. And I end up with a kid's birthday party that has to be canceled. And I want to feed him antifreeze Gatorade. <laughs> I'm just like, let's fix this problem because, he, and I will say my husband like actually doesn't do this. Like, I'm a person who's lost like 400 sets of our car keys that are expensive and need a fob. And then you have to go to the dealer. And you know what my husband does? He goes and replaces them mm -hmm. and he doesn't yell at me for being an idiot. Mm -hmm. But I can't get there with him, you know? Doing that will neither change the person nor improve your relationship. I, I just, we just had a similar thing with my husband that, you know, his, his email churn, his inbox is insane, right? And I'll throw something at him like, don't forget the Little League banquet or whatever, and it'll get lost in the right. sea. And guess what? Spoiler alert. He forgets the Little League banquet. Yeah. Or sometimes I text him. And so he too is missing important things. And so, and I was sort of like, we, I need to figure out a way that I can communicate with you that you will see it, that it comes in above the noise. And he was like, I can't. I I'm so busy. I am like, like, you're right. You are so busy. So you think about it and you let me know. I'll, I'll use any carrier pigeon you come up with. Let's figure out a way that you will always see this message that comes in with me and I'll, I'll only use the bat signal if I need it. And he came up with that I need to send him an email that says response required in all caps in the subject <laughs> so line. Cute. Like I'm like, you know, an HR right. person. But you are his HR person. I am his HR person and it works. That's the thing. Like, don't resent like yeah. the fact this is how you've yeah. set it up. And so I say this all the time, too. It's like, hold your hand over an open flame and then take painkillers because your hand hurts <laughs> or figure out a way to turn right. off the flame. And like, that's the key to marriage to some degree is just like sitting there with your hand over an open flame and taking painkillers and be like, I take all the pain in. I take all the pain in and look at me what I'm doing. And it's so great of me. It's like, figure out a way to turn that off. This is all predicated, first of all, on you being married to a really nice person, which both of us are lucky to yeah. say that we are. So like, if you have a person who's, turning the flame on for you, like you, you can't really fix that situation. Sure. If you have a person who's doing these four horsemen things and not really interested in doing different, that's. Or they really are. Some people really are allowed walking to drive you crazy because <laughs> they enjoy that. Like that's that situation is bad. Or they make their face really annoying on purpose every time you come in the room. Oh, on purpose. Horrible. I want to close with one last takeaway that I think my father-in-law told me this and it really stuck with me. My father-in-law was talking about something and he was like, we just really need an attaboy sometimes. And I feel like I forget this. And it's kind of like we talk about with your kids and dogs, like the dog gets out of the car and runs around and, and you're like, oh, what a good boy. What a good boy. And your kid gets out of the car after being cooped up in the car and starts running around. And right. you're like, what are you doing running around? You know better than to run around. That's Wendy Mogul who said that, but we go to the, we go back to that all the time because it's so good. Yes, that's Wendy Mogul. But husbands are the same. Sometimes they need to be like, look at you, you know, like, look at what a great job you're doing. Like we, we definitely get into that mode of like angry daycare. And my husband did such a solid for me yesterday. It was actually something to do with the podcast. And like, I couldn't figure something out and he's an engineer and he took time off of work to do it. And I just feel like I was like, 
I was having that instinct to be like, it's still not working correctly, or it's still not exactly what I wanted. And I, I physically stopped myself and I was like, gosh, thank you Mm -hmm. so much for doing that. Like, or sometimes I just watch him playing with the kids and I really try to dig into that thing of like, Hey, you're awesome. Like, thanks for doing these awesome things. Like, don't discount how much that like attaboy every once in a while your husband like isn't going to ask for it, but really wants it and needs it. Can I give you a study in response? You can. University of Georgia study from 2015 says that expressing gratitude towards your spouse is the most significant predictor of marital quality. And I know that you might be hearing this and being like, but my spouse doesn't do that for me. (laughs) Right. Look at the man in the mirror, guys. Like uh, asking, he's asking you to make a change. Like the more you express gratitude the more you, and we're both in like heterosexual marriages. And like, I feel like there is a man woman dynamic here of like, men don't necessarily, they don't like think a lot and lay in bed and be like, what's my wife's love language? Like they're kind of <laughs> just going along the track, you know? Right. Straight men are doing that. Yeah. And I do think that you, you can interrupt that flow a little bit by like, start, be the change and the change will come. It works. And also, what are you going to do? Like, you can't sit there all day and be like, I wish this other person would change in these ways to be better. Like, you got to, you got to, there's only one person you can control and that's yourself. Can I give you a Belinda Luscombe quote to end on? Because I loved this so much. And again, Please I want to thank her for being on the show. The new book is called Marriageology, The Art and Science of Staying Together. I really liked it. This was a quote that I loved. She says, this is what love is actually, not a fluttery feeling but a willingness to throw down for that person, a conscious decision to do whatever you can to make that person's life a little better, more fun, and less stressful. You got You get us, Belinda. I want to be married to that person, right? Yeah. I want. To, I am married to that person, so I've just got to like maintain it. That's the thing. That's it. Guys, we definitely solved this one. You're all going to be married <laughs> forever. No divorces in the What Fresh Health <laughs> podcast family. Definitely no Dateline episodes, <laughs> right, right, guys? Right. Uh, We want to hear from you about what's going on with your marriage and how you are responding to this. And you can do that on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. And on Instagram at whatfreshhellcast. And we're on Twitter at WFH podcast. And I'm going to put up a link to Belinda's book and some of the studies we talked about today on our website, which is whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. 
And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.